Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming back to Lessons in the Dark. This is our third episode. Pretty excited. We're going to be talking about overcrowding in the classroom. Uh, Mary's going to tell you a little bit more. But as always, thanks for listening. Please, please rate and review iTunes, however you get your podcasts. It's really important. We really appreciate it. If you are interested in contributing to the conversation, we would really love to hear from you. If you would like to be featured on an episode, maybe be interviewed by Mary, that would be awesome. All of our contact information is in the podcast description. You can reach out to us on Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, email at LessonsInTheDark51 at gmail.com. Whatever works best for you. We're really hoping to start a dialogue, so please share your thoughts. Here's Mary. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Mary Ellen Campagna. I'm glad you could join me for Lessons in the Dark. This is my third podcast on education in America. My attention was drawn to the issue of overcrowding in the classroom because a close friend of mine who teaches in Arizona in a Teach for America program is dealing with 50 kids in each of her classes. She teaches in a largely Hispanic community. Kim, not her real name, teaches English language arts, considered a core subject in Arizona. So she's one of those teachers whose goal it must be to get the students to pass standardized state tests, a challenge in its own right, without even considering a 50 to one ratio. Why so lopsided? Well, according to the National Center for Educational Statistics, the NCES, with the number of students enrolled increasing in schools across the country, schools are forced to put more students in each class or to use smaller spaces as classrooms. This can have a negative effect on both teachers and students and can cut out group work and active projects that take up more floor space. Another NCES article entitled The Condition of America's Public School Facilities 1999 defines an overcrowded classroom as something that happens when the number of students enrolled in the school is larger than the number of students the school is designed to accommodate. The same article says that schools in the West are more likely than those in the Northeast or Midwest to be severely overcrowded. In addition, the article revealed that minority kids were more likely to be in overcrowded schools. Studies have long shown that many of those overcrowded schools also have significant structural problems. These problems continue in 2019, yet reports on class size are mystifying. An article entitled 23 Students for Every One Teacher Ratio Among Countries Highest on azfamily.com by Jason Berry quotes 2016 Arizona Teacher of the Year Christine Marsh as saying, I remember when I would think to myself, how could I possibly teach 32 kids in one class? Because that was like a really big class then, she said. Now it's how can I possibly teach 42 or 40 or 39? 32 is now a relatively small class or at least average. It's no longer my big class. And it makes a difference because that leaves less time to have any kind of individual impact or individual relationship with kids. 
The same article goes on to blame the larger classes on the amount of money allotted for education in Arizona, saying that Arizona ranked last at $7,620 per student compared to the national average of $11,667 per student in 2016. The state was 47th in the nation for state spending as a percent of taxable resources that year. Last year, Arizona ranked 45th in the nation in school funding, still only a D-plus rating. Not surprising since the state's rankings for educational spending have been traditionally low. I'm not sure when the 23 students to one teacher ratio was a correct average for the state, but I don't think it's true anymore if you look at what's going on in a growing number of districts and not if you talk to actual teachers. According to a Brookings Institute report about class size, if a classroom has more than 40 kids per teacher, another classroom must, by law, be added with its own new teacher. This was true in 2011, but some states like Arizona have relaxed their class size regulations. While better than 50, 40 kids is still too many in one class as I see it, and that holds true for any state. So let's revisit my friend Kim in her classroom of 50 kids in Arizona. Trying to teach is a joke, Kim said when I talked to her by phone recently. I'm not sure what to do. Very little learning is going on. When Kim asked for my honest opinion, my gut reaction was to say, why don't you just love the kids? That's what they all really need more than anything. So put the scores on the back burner and just love them. Because if you can change the life of one child, you know you've made a difference. Wow, Kim said. And then there was a brief pause, a lull in the conversation before she repeated, just love them. She said that like she was mulling over it, but something didn't add up correctly. I soon hung up the phone and mulled over my own words, just love them. The conclusion I came to even shocked me when I had enough time to let those words process. What does real love mean between a teacher and her students, I questioned. Does it mean just being sweet, playing games, and handing them grades? Or... Does it mean drawing boundaries, setting high expectations, and working so hard you're ready to fall over at the end of the day, even if you've just failed over half your class? I decided that a real teacher dispensing real love for her students must allow failure to be an option and must work until she has no energy left in her to see that every student has a chance to learn. That's my definition of success. So I called Kim back and I told her I'd changed my mind about what love was for a teacher. And she said, yep, that's how I feel too. But there is no way I can do that kind of love with 50 kids in a class. It's a warehouse, not a functioning classroom. See, you can talk all you want about saving money by putting more bodies in classrooms but then you miss the part about the magic that teachers and students do in their classes. Transferring knowledge and spiritual wisdom and excitement, well, it's challenging enough even if you only have 15 students in a class, much less 50. 
teachhub.com featured an interesting article called Classroom Overcrowding. It's not just a numbers game by Laura Preble. Preble, too, confesses that she has five sections of 40 kids in her classes. That's 200 kids. She says in Quality Counts 2008, the EPE, Educational Project and Education Research Center, found that 21 states had a class size reduction policy in place for the 2007-2008 school year. And by 2010, all but 15 states had laws restricting the number of students that may be included in a general education classroom in some or all grades. But later, the frustrated teacher discovers that since 08, 19 states have either relaxed or gotten rid of their class size laws, usually to save money. Today, most districts have squeezed as many kids as possible into classrooms, taking a toll on teachers and students alike, Preble says, adding, being teachers, we try to make it work, but at what cost? With larger classes, teachers are feeling more and more overwhelmed and burned out, and we run the risk of becoming ill or exhausted. Like Kim, Preble and others are weary of seeing schools that look more like manufacturing centers. As I said in an earlier podcast, children are not numbers. They are human beings who have a right to a teacher who knows their names and can give them some individual attention to let them know how much he or she cares. Why is that so important? Because pedagogy without love is an empty science, yet instruction given with love happens within the relationship between a teacher and his or her student. And when that occurs, learning happens. And that's a rush that's better and more long-lastingly potent than any drug known to man. ClassSizeMatters.org is a nonprofit, nonpartisan clearinghouse for information on the benefits of smaller classes. In her 2019 article on the site entitled Class Size, Why It's Important, What Happened in New York City and What We Need to Do, Leonie Hameson details the way smaller classes have been linked to better student outcomes in a way that can be measured. Hameson has proven that smaller classes result in better scores and grades, more student engagement, and less disruption. She elaborates by saying, most importantly, small classes are only one of a handful of reforms that narrows the achievement gap between economic and racial groups and thus are essential for true equity in the New York City public schools. Hameson also discusses the fact that New York City introduced a plan to reduce the average class size in 2007, a plan approved by the state. Yet, instead of going down, class sizes went up. In fact, Hameson mourns the fact that since 2007, First through third grade classes of 30 or more children within the city have risen by 3,000%. Well over 300,000 children were in large classes of 30 or more students last fall. In April of last year, nine parents and other organizations sued the City Department of Education, the DOE, in New York for its violation of C4E laws laws previously passed to reduce class size. The complaint cited in the lawsuit was, however, dismissed. One predicts that there will be an aggressive appeal 
Isn't that the way a good democracy works? It's hard, not easy. It takes all you've got, and often it takes a fight. But when it's for our kids, we will never regret the effort, whatever the outcome. In 2011, when overcrowding wasn't as much of an issue as it is today, Alyssa Sellers wrote an article for the Seattle Pie stressing the fact that overcrowding in schools has been proven to have a detrimental effect on achievement scores and student learning in numerous ways. Her article called Overpopulation in Schools Affecting Test Scores points out that overcrowding is usually found in urban areas where funding is limited. Sellers writes, surveys of students and teachers in overcrowded schools reveal that students and teachers alike feel overwhelmed and even discouraged in these facilities. She adds, schools are not just buildings, but environments for learning. If the environment is not conducive to learning due to overcrowding, student achievement and teacher planning are negatively affected. So let's talk about classroom environment for a minute. What is it and what does it mean? One of the most interesting classes that I took at the University of Virginia was a class on the importance of classroom physical environment. I learned that people from different ethnicities tended to prefer differing physical classroom environments. For example, many traditionally African-American classrooms historically would have been set up with a large square teacher's desk at the head of the room, and the students would have sat in an open circle around him or her. Yet, many Hispanic educators and students preferred to walk freely around the room as they were teaching and learning, unencumbered by desks. A great article by the Gale Group, written by Katherine Cunningham and Angela Miller, titled Classroom Environment, said that classroom environment encompasses a broad range of educational concepts, including the physical setting, the psychological environment created through social contexts, and numerous instructional components related to teacher characteristics and behaviors. The author said that studies about class size have examined how class size influences teacher and student behaviors. Smaller classes are associated with students who are less stressed and are more frequently on task with fewer reported behavior problems than students in larger classes. Furthermore, the authors of this study discover that even though educators with both small and large classes use similar instructional strategies, evidence suggests that in the larger classes, more time is spent on administrative tasks and less time on teaching. The studies also found, again, that overcrowded classrooms led to far more stress in both teachers and students and more behavior problems all which led to lower academic achievement. I found an interesting article that elaborated about what a good classroom physical environment should look like. And by now, I think we've seen enough studies that show that a good physical environment leads to a good psychological environment. And a good psychological environment is far more conducive to learning. Smith Systems, Welcome to the Collaborative Classroom says, Clusters or pods accommodate today's learners who prefer interactive and social activities. Pods allow students to work in small groups of two to six to interact directly 
see facial expressions, and establish eye contact. I was impressed largely because some of the research I did while in grad school at Holmes University suggested that small groups might be far more advantageous for emotionally disturbed kids. Thus, I figure that if small groups work better for the special education population, they might work better for all students. But pods aren't entirely practical in a room with 50 kids. Smith's system suggests that collaborative learning between students and other students, as well as between teachers and students, permits more movement so that students are free to be more self-directed as they move freely about the classroom to various learning zones. Sounds heavenly, doesn't it? Learning zones? In learning zones, the teacher's access must be unimpeded so that he or she may roam around the class answering questions and facilitating class discussion. I saw that work so well while I visited an elementary school in Arizona, a school that wasn't overcrowded at the time. I also saw it work perfectly at an urban elementary school in Virginia. My first thought was, wonder what could happen if this model was consistent throughout the city and if the paradigm were carried on until these children graduated from high school. Unfortunately, it rarely turns out that way, but I still wonder what might be possible if that sort of space and consistency in the use of space could really happen throughout the education of a child. Dr. Susan Krauss Whitborn wrote an article for Psychology Today in 2012 called Polish Off Your Personal Space. This guide to personal space will help you perfect your body language. She says that according to research on the psychology of personal space, the distance around each of us can be divided into four zones. The one closest to us is the intimate space and only goes to about 18 inches away from our face. The author further explains that personal space may go from a little over two feet to four feet away from us. So when people enter our personal space without permission, the brain perceives it as a violation and trouble may ensue. Dr. Krauss Whitborn and many others have studied this phenomenon that indicates that anger rises in people who are forced to be too close to each other for any extended period of time. Do you think that this might be an issue when you cram 51 people in a room made for 24? How can optimal learning occur in such situations? The answer is it can't. So what should we do about it? Well, that's up to you, but I suggest that if we are concerned about this and other matters pertaining to the education of our children, we should write or call our state and local representatives. And we shouldn't wait. We should do this in a timely manner because, as any parent will tell you, kids grow up in the blink of an eye. And what we don't want to pile up on ourselves and our loved ones are regrets. Please join us for our next podcast, and thanks for listening to Lessons in the Dark. Hey, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcast from. We would really appreciate it. If you'd like to take part in the discussion or be featured on an episode, please contact us. All of our information is in the description.
you can send us an email at lessonsinthedark51 at gmail.com. Reach out on Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, or head over to the website, lessonsitd.com. Check out the blog, and stay tuned. We've got a couple of very exciting episodes coming up. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.